This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 570 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. It's an infinite frontier. Checkmate sets up the board. Diana goes black and gold. Ollie has a birthday. And Black Hammer returns. Maybe? This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, July 4th, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Or you can subscribe with your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Or call us at 614 614- Three two one nine seven three seven. That's six one four three two one nine SFP. Infinite Frontier number one of six by Williamson, Sermanico, and Fajardo Jr. Welcome to the next big DC event. Will it chart the course for the next ten years, or will we have forgotten it a year from now? Let's find out. Thanks to the events in Dark Knight's Metal, the citizens of the DCU know that the multiverse exists, which creates a lot of ennui. They also know that the multiverse was just restarted, so are their memories and histories just implanted in their minds? We begin in Kansas, where a rocket ship has just crashed in a field. A kindly couple come to investigate. No, not Mon Pa Kent. It's Mon Pa Ellis, the black foster parents of the Superman of Earth-23, Calvin Ellis, who is also the President of the United States. In the rocket, what appears to be the Thomas Wayne Batman of Flashpoint. The Ellises are old hands at this. Call Calvin. That damn multiverse is nothing but trouble. Meanwhile, extant of the 90s zero-hour event, check out episodes 556 and 566 for more details, is getting his butt kicked by a unique team called The Totality. Mr. Terrific, G.L. Allen Scott, Hawk Girl, Martian Manhunter, Vandal Savage, and Talia Agul? Allen then goes off to meet his son Obsidian, and they provide some exposition. The multiverse was reset. Allen just came out. Jade and Obsidian have returned due to the reset. There's a green explosion at the old JSA HQ, where they were supposed to meet Jade. Is she gone again? Cut to Agent Chase, whose French vacation is interrupted by Director Bones. He's calling her back in, as the DEO now has to deal with the multiverse. Cut to the Justice League incarnate, made up of heroes from throughout the multiverse. The Superman Calvin Ellis from Earth-23, Captain Carrot, Earth-26... Machine Head, Earth-8, Aqua Woman, Earth-11, and Mary Marvel from Earth-5, who watch Thomas Wayne wake up in their ship in the bleed. He asks for Barry Allen with the reply, which one? Cut to Earth-Zero Barry, who's exploring the multiverse. He uses the stored-up energy to reach Earth-Omega, home to the current incarnation of Darkseid. 
He finds the quintessence all dead, as seen in the IF special, then hears, You should have just stayed away, Flasher. He gets zapped through his timeline, ending in a shot of Psycho Pirate, now in a new black-and-white costume. There's a new crisis coming, except this time you and I are going to be on the same team. We then cut to civilians in a diner, some remembering echoes of the Dark Knight's metal event. Another insists that the multiverse is a scam, clearly representing Trumpism. A redhead asks him to sit down and enjoy his food. There's an explosion, and a vibrating woman and soldiers walk in to extract the redhead. It's Roy Harper, another person back from the dead. This world doesn't like you. No witnesses. There's a battle which ends with Roy somehow becoming a black lantern with ghosts of his various guises backing him up. There's just a ton of DC Easter eggs to the various crises and events post-Crisis on Infinite Earths. It would be hard for a non-DC fan to even understand what's going on. Personally, I'm looking forward to see where all these plot lines go. So let's find out more in... Infinite Frontier Secret Files Number 1 by Williamson, Thomas, Phillips, Waters, Delandro, Miranda, Byrne, Hester, and Mitten. This digital-first miniseries goal is to fill in the blanks of the major event. The framing device is Director Bones, listening to tapes of Agent Chase to fill himself and us in. This sets up multiple short stories about President Superman of E-23, who tries to find time to himself while juggling being the most powerful person in the world, both politically and physically. Roy Harper, back in his speedy days, being trained to meditate by Ollie Queen, cut to current day, and a bar fight. Roy seems to have some sort of power, super strength, enhanced healing, not really spelled out. Jade learning to trust the Starheart, the source of her and Alan's powers, as she works with Obsidian to save off the end of the universe. Two different versions of the totality, from Earths 0 and 23, who try and experiment at the same time and almost throw the game. John later tells the group that one of them is a spy from Earth 23, but it turns out to be a trust exercise. Director Bones of the DEA gets his own story about how Captain Boomerang still has radiation in him from the metal event, turning him into a monster. And finally, some backstory on Psycho Pirate and how he got pulled in by Darkseid. It's also a meta-treatise on the nature of reality, with Psycho Pirate actually pulling down the panels of the comic. It seems like Mr. Bones and Talia Ghoul are keeping busy, as we will see in... Checkmate number one of six by Bendis, Maleev, and Stewart. In what is most likely a parallel timeline, it is Bendis, the Leviathan story continues. We start two years ago with Mark Shaw, a.k.a. Manhunter, who finds Talia al Ghul hanging out in the League of Assassins Decimated HQ. He's there with an offer. Cut to weeks ago with Damian Wayne sneaking around a warehouse with a crashed Leviathan ship only to run into Talia, his mother. She's now working to shut down Leviathan once and for all. They run into Leviathan troops who warp in, do something to the ship, provide Bendis speak, and warp out. Cut to today, Steve Trevor sneaks into a secret room of a church to meet up with Checkmate. As an aside, Checkmate was created in 1988 by Paul Kruperberg and Steve Irwin as a secret intelligence agency in the DCU. They really lean into the chess metaphor with personnel assigned based on king, queen, rook, pawn, etc. At one time, there was a white team of heroes and a black team, villains, and vigilantes. They have been rebooted over the decades to fit the continuity of the time.
Anyway, this group is composed of Steve Trevor, Rook, Manhunter, Kate Spencer, Knight, Green Arrow, Pawn, The Question, Pawn, Mr. Bones, Pawn, Lois Lane, Queen, and a mysterious king. They have been brought together to save Talia, who has disappeared. Lois wants to know who the king actually is. She recognizes a possible alien accent. I'm like totally a human person. Back to weeks ago, with Talia and Damien held in stasis fields by Mark Shaw, this is now post-Leviathan Rising. Robin keeps telling him, you're under arrest. Leviathan tries to track down the source of a signal Talia was using, which would be checkmate. Back to now at the Daily Planet. Lois is doing some research when another employee, Allie, walks by and starts up a conversation. Allie drops a package on her desk and announces in a casual manner that she's in Leviathan. It's an invite for Lois. They apologize for killing her father, General Lane, referring to it as her father's sacrifice. Allie warps out, and Lois opens the package. It's a puzzle. She looks out the window, and we see a sniper with a gun pointed at her. It's too confusing for me. (laughs) Wonder Woman, Black and Gold Number 1 by Mendez, Doyle, Shamas, Beam, Arcudi, Souk, Reader, and Clunan. Diana joins the ranks of color-themed anthologies with various levels of success. Mother's Daughter is about Diana and Hippolyta, mostly set in the suburbs for some reason, in a metaphor of mother-daughter relationships and nurturing. What Doesn't Kill You sees Diana investigating Amazon disappearances, fighting various gods and monsters, with Cersei causing it all. I'm Ageless starts in World War II, cutting to modern-day JLA with Batman asking whether an immortal can really care for any human being. We learn she saves a soldier who winds up a U.S. senator, and she leaves a flower at his grave in the end. By the way, this was the standout in terms of the artwork. Ryan Souk is fantastic. Golden Age takes us back to the 40s with Diana and Etta Candy stopping a group of female bank robbers. The Wager sees Diana interrogating a crooked loiter and explaining about the lasso of truth. Woven from the Golden Fleece by the Three Fates, it shows the person bound by it all their bad decisions in life, all the truths even they can't normally see. It's just the truth, they say, but afterwards they find it difficult to live with themselves. The lawyer is terrified by that and gives up the truth without the lasso. Batman is outside the interrogation room and asks if that's actually true. What do you think? It's not the truth of a tale, but what you take from it. But honestly, I don't believe you've ever told a lie in your life. Good answer. This was the best of the stories. The artwork was okay. We're big fans of these anthologies, unshackled from the always-changing continuity. Green Arrow 80th Anniversary Special by Tamaki, Rodriguez, Taylor, Scott, Phillips, Mooneyham, Grell, Ram V, Mitten, Thomas, Corona, Grayson, Fiumara, Hester, Parks, Ayala, Braga, Percy, Schmidt, Lemire, Sorrentino, O'Neill, and Fornace. Oliver Queen joins the ranks of the recent Birthday Club. Green Arrow first appeared in More Fun Comics number 73 in 1941, created by Mort Weisinger and George Papp. He's one of the few heroes who kept up regular appearances from the Golden into the Silver Age, thanks to Weisinger, who used him in Superboy backup stories. Ollie's getting a lot of page time lately with memberships in JLA, Checkmate, and the Seven Soldiers of Victory. 
We also just learned that the Golden Age Green Arrow is in fact the same one as today, thanks to some time travel shenanigans we saw in the recent Stargirl special. As in the other anniversary specials, we get a taste of his long run in a set of short stories. The Disappearing Bandit seems to have been plucked from the 50s, when G.A. and Speedy were basically a Batman and Robin knockoff, a trick arrow saves the day. Punching Evil sees Ollie signed up for boxing classes by Dinah, a.k.a. Black Canary, who's worried he gets dependent too much on his arrows in combat. He's nonplussed with the trainer until he sees Batman walking out after a session. How's the arrow car and the arrow cave? The trainer, of course, is Ted Grant, a.k.a. Wildcat. An old foe attacks and apparently kills Ted, but Ollie sticks an arrow into a boxing glove to take out the baddie. Turns out Wildcat has nine lives, well now six, so he's fine. Who Watches the Watchtower is set during the 70s and based on the JLA satellite. Ollie is stuck on monitor duty while the rest of the league goes off on a mission. Aliens attack the satellite and Ollie fights them off, grabbing a bow artifact in the museum to finish the fight. In Just the Usual Sort of Stuff, Mike Grell returns for a story of Ollie and Shadow, arguing in the middle of a fight with drug traffickers. This may be related to the classic Longbow Hunters graphic novel from Grell. The arrow and the song is all about Ollie and Dinah interspersed with Longfellow's I Shot an Arrow into the Air. Lessons in Friendship is a series of archival panels over the years with Ollie giving advice while the panels show he doesn't practice what he preaches. One is a Connor Hawk story, Oliver's son and fellow Green Arrow, as he handles a hostage crisis. Green Man and Autumn Sun is a bedtime story told by Roy Harper over the phone to his daughter Leon as he's in the middle of a fight. It's part Navajo Parabell. Roy spent his childhood with them and a review of his life. Star City Star brings us back to Ollie as he fights to save a young girl who has the power of hallucination. She uses it to bring up Ollie's issues with Onomatopoeia, Count Vertigo, Hal Jordan, Dinah Lance, and Mia Dearden, the new Speedy. Happy Anniversary sees Ollie and Dinah trying to celebrate, but it turns into an attack by Deathstroke. Dinah gets her stress out by beating the crap out of him. The Sympathy of the Woods is all about the Airsats Arrow family as they come together to stop Merlin. And the last Green Arrow story is metaphorical as Ollie goes back to the island for his final hunt, meeting a younger Oliver Queen, handing him an arrow, and immolating himself. There's a one-pager of Ollie's famous chili recipe, which even the League can't handle. The final story is about Denny O'Neill, who brought Green Arrow back from obscurity with Neil Adams, making his 70s title legendary. It's a wordless story about O'Neill's life, seeing what influenced him and how he influenced DC. As he dies, the characters he wrote stand around his hospital bed with Oliver holding his hand. O'Neill died last year. Black Hammer Reborn number one from Dark Horse by Lemire, Yarsky, Stewart, and Picos. The Hammerverse continues to expand in this story about Lucy, the original Black Hammer's daughter. Lucy later took over the role, but now we're past that, or are we? It's stated she was active in 1996 and that the events in the original comic happened since then. Now it's 2016. She's a mother with two kids and a clueless husband. She can barely remember being a hero. 
back to 1996, a villain called Black Hole orders a release of all the inmates in Spiral Asylum, or he will unleash his power, an artificial black hole, in the middle of his chest. Lucy throws her hammer into it and shuts it down. This is her first public appearance as a hero. Back to 2016, there's now a government group called Trident that handles the superhero stuff now. Lucy was a reporter before disappearing to that pocket dimension for years. She's now an ad firm copy editor and clearly hates her job. She has a drink with Reyes, who was a detective during Lucy's hero years, but is now a PI who snoops on people. Reyes looks back on those days fondly and tries to drink away those memories. Suddenly, there is an attack outside. It's clearly part of the Parazone. Reyes tells Lucy to suit up, but she refuses. Reyes also drops that Lucy's husband is cheating on her. She comes home to find that her son is starting fights at school, which her husband blows off, and then she needs to deal with the attack. You have a responsibility here. Responsibility, Elliot? You want to talk about responsibility? She shows him the photo of his cheating and tells him to get out of the house. Lucy decides that she has lost enough and begins to go for the hammer. But we learn she stopped being a hero for a reason, and it involved her killing someone. I will never become Black Hammer again. Mark, if I had to pick one superhero universe to read in and leave everything else, it would be the Black Hammer universe. Instead of trying to retrofit existing characters into new storylines like DC is doing, this is letting us have new characters that are really well-developed and really interesting. I just love this whole series. I think that nobody really wants new DC characters. If you're reading a DC comic, you're probably going to want Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and new characters can't get any traction. But by making a really coherent new comics universe, Jeff Lemire has made a comic that I really, really, really want to read. Well, and that's why we've tried to move away, at least partially, from DC, at least the mainline DC. We're hardly getting any comics from, quote, unquote, the main continuity anymore. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And these compilations, and mm-hmm. we talked about, I think, three or yeah. maybe even four today, mm-hmm. are really good for that reason. You said that earlier. We really like those because they're better. <laughs> but I do love Black Hammer. Mm-hmm. Announcer bot. How can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.